We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the truth. A small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business. Sponsored by Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Property management. Place good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truth. We got the truth. We got the truths. We got the big truths. A small business sponsored by SIRN. Hey guys, welcome to the big truths of small business. I am your host, Joe Watkins. And Regretfully today, I do not have my co-host, Travis Castle. He is at home in the bed with COVID-19. He, uh, he's on the rebound, feeling better today, but uh, not in a position to, to come be on the podcast and, and, and deliver his best. So uh, this is uh, my first solo gig today. And I uh, hope I do it well. Today's uh, show is something I know quite a bit about and, and had to change what we're talking about today. So um, this, is, uh, this is fresh on my mind because I do it every day. And I thought, well, let's just do a show on it. And it's, uh, it's a house flipping show, okay? Um, there are many business owners and small business people who are doing house flipping. Some are doing it on the side. Uh, some are doing it as a full-time gig. And... Uh, I've done all the above and, and currently flipping houses as one of our primary businesses. And I thought I'd share a little, uh, little info on house flipping today and uh, hopefully you get some nuggets. Uh, I want to uh, tell you on the front end of the show here to go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google, go to Spotify, go to wherever you, you listen to Big Truths of Small Business. Give us a five-star rating or give us a rating of any kind. Our show gets more exposed when we do... Uh, when we have more ratings and we have more, uh, we have more visibility when we have more ratings and more visibility is more viewership. What we're having right now is a, a, an incremental increase in viewership each week. And if we can get that to, 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 to promote itself into ratings on these platforms, then just like Google, we're going to, we're going to come up higher in the searches when people search something about small business. So do appreciate you listening to the show. We love our uh, the feedback we get. I got some feedback this week from a couple different guests that the uh, the last show um, about uh, the art of reconciliation really was good. It was a guy out of California that uh, listened to the show for the first time, and, and he just really appreciated uh, the depth of the conversation. And I uh, hope hope you guys uh, uh, appreciate what we do uh, we we have fun doing it and and we really are trying to give some real good nuggets here on the big truth and i want to want to say this too uh, we are sponsored by yes i rent property management and uh, that is our property management firm where we manage single family rental properties in metro atlanta and uh, by now doing this for uh, i think travis has been doing it for 15 years i've been doing it for 12 or 13 we are just loaded with information on property management. And in doing so, my transition to property management came out of my house flipping days. Uh, I left Chick-fil-A. I was a Chick-fil-A owner-operator, which is a, a restaurant chain. 
Uh, I was with Chick-fil-A for a long time, left them in 2007 to take advantage of the downturn and flip houses. Needless to say, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Had a, uh, a, a big drive and very little knowledge and uh, threw away a 15-year career to go flip houses. And, and boy, I'm glad I did because I learned a lot and made a lot of mistakes along the way. Lost money on quite a few deals, but also made a lot of money. And, and now with over 400 to, say, 500 flips under my belt just in, in, in what I've done, not to mention all of the the renovations, the now probably thousands of renovations we've done for owners, I feel like I can speak on the subject of house flipping. And so let's talk about it. We're going to talk about the basics of uh, what it is and uh, maybe how you do this and what are some things to think about, what are some pitfalls. So again, thanks for tuning in to The Big Truce. Um, and uh, so what is house flipping? What when people say I flip houses, I just want to define that briefly, what that is. And uh, very simply put, this came off the Dave Ramsey website. I think he he does some, some, some simple uh, thoughts around things I really like. It's when an investor buys a house and sells for a profit. Hello. Well, I'm going to say that house flipping is not always sold for a profit. That is the goal. Sometimes we lose money. So let's say that... When an investor buys a house with the intention to make a profit and then sells the house, you've now flipped the house. And two ways that you can flip, uh, we'll put in the category. One of them is the traditional way that we're going to talk about more, which is I bought the house. I see that there's improvements that can be made and I can turn this into a real profit by making those improvements, increasing the value of the property enough that I will be able to market up enough to recoup my purchase price, recoup my renovation cost and my other costs that we'll talk about later and, and come away with a, a profit of some kind. Uh, that's a traditional flip. We're going to talk a lot about that. The secondary one is I bought a home. I'm in a very appreciating market. California was known for this for years. Uh, wouldn't do that now during COVID, but you, you, you go buy a home and, and, and hold, it, hold it for six months and it's increased 15% in six months and you just sell it as is and make a profit. Well, that, that one is, is probably not the environment we're in right now. We're in a very, very high retail real estate market. The, the, the values are very high. I'm not, I'm not so sure that we're going to see a huge appreciation in the next short term. And so... Um, I don't know that that's the best way. In fact, we may see a downturn, uh, depending on the election coming up here in, the, in, in a week or two. Um, we could see some dramatic fluctuation in investor confidence. And investor confidence is going to change the stock market, and the stock market go, could go crazy, which the stock market also has a lot of private equity groups out there that are buying single-family residential real estate. Uh, but ultimately when big money starts to lose confidence, big money sh really shakes all the way down to the end buyer who's maybe scared to buy a home. So I think we're at a, a pretty high market right now. And so I wouldn't, uh, consider buying something on appreciation now. Um, so we're going to talk about you, you have a house that, that 
that needs repair or needs to be updated and you see value in bringing it up and you see a profit there. That's the, the house flipping we're going to talk about. So uh, let's just talk about some things to consider uh, before you decide to flip a house. Um, I, would, I, would, I would say that the first thing is, is just about the money, your, your finances. If, if you have absolutely no money in the bank, and, and you're going to go flip a house, and this is how you're going to get yourself out of a jam, that's, this is the wrong business. Uh, th- this, is, this has more risk tied to it than many other things you could do, which means, yeah, there's, there could be more reward here too. But if you're already tight and things go wrong, then they could push you right in, uh, right in over the hump here to, to bankruptcy or worse. So, you know, when, when you're doing something like this and, and you're tight, tight on money, what can happen? I mean, other relationships can be at jeopardy. Uh, you know, kids' college funds could be at jeopardy, and that's just not worth it. So um, I, I don't know what the, the, the financial margin needs to be for each individual, but have some, some, some spread, some cash in the bank to help you soften uh, any issue that may occur during a house flip. Uh, I'm just going to say a baseline of, of $20,000 that you should have that it's not allocated towards anything else. It's not your savings that will get you through a few months of, uh, of, of mortgage payments if you lose your job. It, it, is, it is outside of any of your regular budget household expenses or margin. Have that as, as a bucket. Now, I think flipping houses with cash is much uh, more conservative and, and less risky. Um, but a lot of us don't have, uh, you know, dollars $100, $150,000 sitting around. So financing is an important part of a house flip. And, you know, so, so consider, are you buying this with cash or with financing? Because I think those are two different formulas that need to be used in your, your expenses as you uh, think about the numbers on your flip. Uh, other things to consider is, uh, what is your time? what kind of time do you have available to allocate to your flip? Um, obviously the more time you input, uh, probably the more you can save, uh, because you're, you're in more direct control of what's going on. You're not relying completely, for instance, on a contractor telling you about something's wrong. You, you're going behind them and ensuring that in fact it is wrong and you're not spending money where you shouldn't. Um, but your time has a dollar value to it. So uh, I don't pretend to think that because you spend an awful lot more time that you're necessarily making more money. Listen, you may be uh, in a situation where you're making $100 an hour as a counselor and you're giving up that every, every time you go to this property. So you, you just got to, for your own benefit, got to figure out what your time is. And I would say the, the, the less time you have, the more professional the contractors need to be that you hire. The more time you have, you can begin to work with more handymen um, because you're going to be involved. In, and and more, of course, that also matters the kind of knowledge you have in regards to a property. Uh, do you have any experience uh, doing uh, renovations on your own home? Do you have tools? Um, so your knowledge is also going to be a big factor here uh, in, in, uh, the time that you may allocate 
and therefore the risk that you might take with a certain contractor. So that's something, your time is something to really consider. How much are you going to give to the project here? Um, uh, other things to consider is uh, having some real estate partners possibly to do business with. Um, who, who is the lender that you're going to be uh, borrowing from? Let's don't start making offers and, and not having had contact with any lenders to borrow money. You need to know what your access to capital is and what it's going to cost and how quick they can get it done so you can form your offer based on those criteria. So understand that uh, and and begin to put together a business plan. Um, I use a spreadsheet that I've been crafting over many, many years. Uh, here soon, I'm going to make that accessible to our viewers um, uh, as we get our website put together and kind of get a little more digitally savvy here on the big truths of small business. Um, this spreadsheet's phenomenal. Uh, it is, it is my business plan for a flip. Uh, know your numbers, know the numbers that need to go into a flip, uh, before you go into a flip. Uh, and so we're going to discuss those today. Uh, so, um, let's start off by asking the question, where should you flip a house in? Where? It's the big question. And my answer to a new house flipper is in your local market. You must know the area that you're going to flip a house. You must know your market. If you don't know your market, then you're adding risk to your deal. You're now relying on uh, people you don't know to help you determine value or something that's being built coming in or something bad that's happening in an area that's going to affect value. So if you're a new house flipper, know your market. If you're a professional, obviously you, you know how to, to get to know the market. Um, can't, we don't get it right, but having your trusted professionals uh, that we talk about. Um, we talked about this on the, I say two shows ago. Uh, now this is on the, this is actually on our other, other podcast, which I don't know that we've ever talked about on this show. We have a podcast called the rental property hangover. And, uh, that's a new one we've started because, uh, by popular demand, people want to know about property management and things around real estate. And so on the big truths, I'll say, go listen to that show. A couple of shows ago, we talked about your real estate investment team and the importance thereof. I mean, it's lenders, attorneys, uh, real estate agents, uh, contractors, uh, insurance agents. I mean, all, all those kind of people that you're going to need to have involved, attorneys to help you uh, move through these, pro these processes of uh, flipping a deal. Go to people that are already doing it and figure out who they're using. Um, uh, trusted resources there are going to be a huge deal. So, by knowing your market, this answers the question where you should first invest. And I, I just think it's as close to where you live as possible. Uh, I do most of my flips within 30 minutes of where I live. And if I could do them closer, I do. Uh, time matters to me. I don't want to be driving all over Timbuktu to do a flip 
And I also add more risk to the equation when, I, when I'm in a market outside. Because here's the deal. The, the further it is away from me, even, even outside of knowing the market, the further it is away from me, the less times I'm going to visit that property, the more that can go wrong. It's just that simple. Um, okay, cash versus financing. I'm going to make the assumption that we're going to have to borrow money. So what, what does that mean? Who's going to loan you money to flip a house? Well, obviously, your, your financial uh, wherewithal is going to make a difference on where you can get money. Um, your experience is going to make a difference. So, for instance, I can go get money from traditional lenders, from even community banks. And, of course, I can get money from hard money lenders uh, because my experience is, is, is great and, and uh, have enough financial wherewithal to, to, to cover a real problem. Um, as your risk to the lender goes up because you have less money to back it or you have less experience, the more money you're going to pay for that money. Uh, hard money, people don't really know what that term means, uh, so I'll define it here. A hard money lender means simply this. They are loaning you money based on the deal and the project way more than they're loaning money based on your financial wherewithal, your credit, your, your situation. Now that plays into it, but they, they are loaning money because the deal makes sense. And they know at the end of the day, if, if they have to take it back, they can, they can get out of it and they can make sense of it. And they do not, they're not tying your, uh, I guess you won't get a uh, uh, hit on your credit. They won't come after and sue you if you default on the loan. They just take the house back. Unlike a traditional loan, you are personally guaranteeing it. If you default, not only will they take the home, they will come after you for the difference and, 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 and personally come after you for the indebtedness. A, a, so that is the advantage of a hard money loan. Is it, it is strictly tied to the property, and all they get is the property if you default. Now, by doing that, you know, they're going to require you know, 25 or 30% down probably for new, for new borrowers. So you're going to lose that cash, uh, and they're going to uh, charge you, uh, I mean, up to five points and 15% for that loan. And that's, that's, that's extraordinary. I mean, if I'm borrowing $100,000 and I'm paying five points and 15%, the points mean each point is 1% of the loan. That's a fee. So five points on a $100,000 loan is $5,000 fee upfront that you're going to pay to get that loan. And then 15% is an annualized interest rate that, that you're going to pay as well. So that's very expensive. It is where I have heard many new investors having to spend for hard money, but it didn't take long for you to clean that up with some experience and some deals and they'll, they'll start backing down that interest rate. And, uh, you know, I, I bet I could borrow hard money at, at, at one point and, an 8% or maybe 10% uh, because of my experience. And, uh, and any, any experience with one hard money lender is going to give you uh, more credit with them at a lower rate. So basic concept there, just want to talk about hard money. Uh, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm not a huge fan of borrowing as much as you possibly can borrow for a flip. Uh, there's a lot of risk involved with flips. And so 
the more financial stability you can bring to the table with cash, the, the, the less stress that's put on you. But uh, let's just say you borrow you know, 70% of the, the renovation cost and the purchase price. Well, that may be what you need to get in, to get this thing into the deal. So factor in those points, factor in those, int- uh, those the interest. Uh, Google hard money lenders, you can find them out there. There, there are quite a few of them. Uh, and that would be a place to start. Go to your local community banks. Call call mortgage, your, your local mortgage companies and see who offers investment flip loans. They're not easy to get, but they're out there. Let's see. Um, let, let's. Uh, th- this is something we talk about a lot on the Big Truths, uh, a, a good bit. Uh, why are you doing the flip to begin with? Is it for spare cash? Is it? Uh, to roll over that cash and do another one and just create more investment equity to where you are all cash into one deal and you're creating a, a, a future just bucket of cash. Um, when I say spare cash, originally I'm thinking, are you, are you doing a flip so you can, you can make, you know, $15,000 and buy a boat? Uh, is it so you can roll it over? Is it so you get to put your mind and work on something different than your, your, current job you know you you want to get out of the, the the rat race and you think this is a way to get out of that do you want to put your hands to work and be a handyman look i uh i recently uh borrowed a bobcat from a buddy of mine and, and did a project at my house where i was moving dirt and and i thought holy cow i may have missed my calling here i mean I love it. I may go in the dirt moving business. I've been sitting behind a computer for the last 10 years. Uh, you know, may, maybe I want to get my hands dirty a little bit. Maybe that's why I'm flipping a house. Maybe I want to do my own renovations and I have the experience to do that. So, you know, identify what you're doing this for and why. I think that's important in building your business plan. Um, when you build your business plan, what, what is it exactly? Well, I told you mine is, is my spreadsheet. It's uh, my after renovation sales price. They call it ARV, after, AR, after repair value is what ARV means. So, you know, I'm buying a house for 100000 I think it's going to sell for 170 after repairs, ARV. I am budgeting $30,000 in renovation cost what are some other costs to think about in your in your uh, spreadsheet well we talked about loan points points and interest i'm going to carry carry the loan for i use four months um, as a time frame for my renovations some take two months some take six and i may move it up if it's a bigger project but four four months is the minimum that i'll include for interest um i also use that four months to 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 calculate the utility cost for those four months, the taxes and the insurance for those four or five months, HOA cost. Uh, there may be an HOA transfer fee. There are HOA monthly dues sometimes. They all need to be figured in. And so uh, this is all part of your expenses. Of course, your budget for your renovation cost it needs to be a detailed budget. 
If you don't know how to do that, you need to have a trusted contractor help you create your budget. They will find things that are mechanical issues, roof problems, HVAC problems, things that you may not see from your eye that need to be in the budget. And then you probably need to add 10% on top of your final budget just for margin. Um, your spreadsheet needs to be all-inclusive, okay? So then, so you've got your, your ARV, you've got your repair cost, you've got your purchase price built in, right? Um, now you got to put in your selling cost. Well, what are those? I use about 8%, 8 to 9% of the sales price I'm going to pay in sales cost. Why? If I sold a house for $200,000, I put in, even though I'm a real estate broker, I have an agent that's going to sell it. And I got to pay the agent I, and we got to pay the other agent that will sell it. So I put in 6% for, for uh, agent cost, sometimes 5%. I put in 2 to 3% for closing cost. I'm going to contribute towards closing. Now we're in a pretty hot market, and that has not been hugely necessary to contribute 3%, but we usually contribute 1.5% today, uh, and it'll go up to 3% as the market softens. Uh, and then I, I always have a 1% in there for home inspection is going to happen during a due diligence period on the sale. And you're going to get a request of stuff that's broken and needs to be fixed. And so I throw another 1%. So that's why I say I use anywhere between eight and 10% as sales cost. And that's just a real cost. It needs to be factored in. So um, these all need to be considered. I mean, so often uh, we'll talk about pitfalls later, but like one of the greatest pitfalls is just not including all your Expenses, just forgetting some. So do not forget them. We've talked about what most of them are. All right. So budgeting your renovation cost here is something that we all know we have to do. By the way, when I take these pauses, I'm drinking water. Um, I'm not used to talking for... 30 minutes straight, uh, I have a co-host typically. So I will be taking breaks for water periodically. And so uh, budgeting your renovation cost. Well, are you going to do this renovation yourself? Are you going to use a handyman and be on site? Are you going to use a licensed general contractor to do your work? If you're new, if you're a newbie, you need to use a licensed general contractor. You need to go ahead and bite the bullet, find a good one, let them handle most of the repairs for you and, and coordinate all the vendors and take less profit because he's going to ensure some safety nets for you you're going to be able to hold him accountable for all the little small problems and the work quality is probably going to be better since they're more uh, experienced than you. And they're probably going to get better prices with the subcontractors as well than you will because they give them volume. You know, but if you're the guy that uh, enjoys working with your hands, has some handyman guys you know, 
you understand construction and construction process, heck, save money and, and hire the handyman. But have a detailed walkthrough with whoever you use. And you probably need to go online and find a comprehensive checklist of all the items that should be looked at and considered so you can check them all off and, 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 and inspect every item. Uh, underneath crawl spaces have cost us a lot of money lately. Mildew and mold, loose wires, plumbing leaks, uh, polybutylene pipes that they put in the 90s that leak and break that no home inspector is going to let a buyer buy with polybutylene. Um, there's some gotchas, septic tanks. If you don't inspect a septic tank, I do that on the front end of a rehab, and I might even do it, start doing it during due diligence on the purchase. Because if you don't inspe ins inspect a, uh, a septic tank on the front end, you don't know if you're going to spend $400 to dig it up and just pump it, or you're going to spend you know, $10,000 to fix field lines that are not working. And so your budget may be very much indicative of that septic tank cost. And uh, so big things like that, the big unknowns I like to, to deal with on the front end because I may decide, well, maybe I'm not going to rip that kitchen out now and, and put all new cabinets in. I'm going to work with what I got because I just spent $6,000 on an unknown expense in the septic tank. So, again, licensed contractors, contractors that have been around the block, they know where the gotchas are. And they can help you uncover gotchas before you're deep in and, and overspent. So, you know, budgeting is, I, I think when I look at, all the people that I do business with and people that I have helped in the past and even in my own experience, the biggest breakdown on a house flip is your renovation, your contractors. Yeah, we can get the, the sell cost wrong we can, or the, the selling price wrong. Uh, we, can, we can do some other things, but where it falls apart most of the time is your inexperience to get a home renovated, especially if it's a large renovation. So listen, if you're a newbie, don't do a $75,000 renovation on your first one. Just don't do it. Do a $25,000, $30,000 or less to remove some of those risks involved. Now, um, so, Let's talk about this now. Let's talk about finding the right house. And what does that mean? What are we looking for? Well, I, uh, I'm going I'm to try to keep this as simple as possible. This is, this is an art and a science. I mean, the science part to me is the spreadsheet, Okay. The spreadsheet tells me if the right house is profitable or not. Outside of the profitability, this, the art part of this is, is this a house that someone wants to live in? And what do I need to do to make it where somebody wants to live in it? Is this a neighborhood that's going to have a big problem? Is there a, a, a ridiculously 
steep driveway heading down to the house. Why? Here's the first question I ask. If when I find a deal, I'm pessimistic. I say, well, why is it a deal? Why is it that people aren't buying this house? Especially if I run across one that has, that's not like trashed, like it's a decent looking house and it's just sitting. I'm going, what? What do I not know about this house that everybody else must seem to know? So I ask those questions. Is it in a floodplain? Is the, you know, the yard so sloped that you can't even park a vehicle on the driveway without it rolling down and hitting the garage doors? Um, or is there, you know, bulldogs next door that are just tearing up the yard and scaring to death the neighboring property? Is there a drug dealer across the street? Is, is there a parent drugs being moved across the street that's going to prevent a buyer? These are all things I'm looking for. Do not get so caught up in the deal working that you don't have your your you know perception, your your your, your scepters up, right? Your your antennas need to be clear and, and be alert to just the normal stuff that you allow yourself to feel about an area, a neighborhood, a property, okay? I have to say that my gut or my intuition cannot be ignored. That's part of the art of a flip. I also use that to when I walk in and go, wow, if only this house had that. Can I, I ask myself, well, can I do that? Is it feasible to take that wall out and create an open floor plan? Um, this house is very bland. Well, how can I cost effectively not make it bland? Usually with color, with paint. You know, I, I just want to allow my, my, my intuition, my gut, to help guide decision-making. But I can't go completely on, on gut, right? It's a science and an art. I'm just saying don't preclude the art of the deal. Don't preclude the art. The art's important. And, uh, you know, it's better to walk away from a deal that could have gone wrong than to go against everything you feel to try to push a deal to make it work. So buying the right property is, is just use the spreadsheet. And if it doesn't fit the spreadsheet, move on. If it fits the spreadsheet, then allow yourself to, 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 to see all what it is. Okay. Bring other people in, bring an agent that, you know, bring, bring other people to give you second, third, fourth opinions, especially when you're new, um, before you buy this deal, because the right property, uh, can be very rewarding. The wrong property can, uh, can really bite you hard. Um, I think we get this question a lot. Where do I find the right properties? How do I get to them? Well, this show is not about the details of this, but I'm going to give you some high level. Um, auction sites, uh, auction.com. They, they sell tons of houses now that are taken over, that are foreclosed on by the bank. Uh, live auctions are still out there. 
they're they're slimming down definitely during COVID, but they're out there. They're auctioning off houses. Um, how about just tell people on Facebook and and other sites that, hey, I, I buy properties. I'm looking for distressed properties. If you know anybody, I can make a cash offer to, or I can or you know anybody that I can buy their distressed house and, and remove that stress from them. That's what I do. That's what I'm looking for. Um, just network with people. Let people know that you're you're in the the business or you're in the the uh, market for buying a house that needs work. Uh, if it doesn't need work, you pretty much aren't going to get a good deal, especially right now. Um, hey, I like one of my favorite ways, uh, since I say target your local market, you know the neighborhoods. Drive neighborhoods and find abandoned, distressed houses. Write the addresses down. Take pictures. Go look up ownership on property records. Track people down. You can do that now on the internet. Track them down and see if they're willing to entertain an offer. Do you know there's there's people that own houses? I mean, thousands of houses. Because it came to them in a will. And maybe they live in New York City and they've never even been to Atlanta to look at it. They're just paying the $1,200 a year tax bill every year and they know it's in bad shape and they just, they just took a blind eye to it. They don't know what to do with it. We run across this every week, every month. People have houses that they're not even financially distressed. They're just time distressed. People don't have the time to deal with it. So find them, drive neighborhoods, abandoned houses, do the research, locate the owner. If you want to get the leg up, you're going to do what other people are unwilling to do. Everybody wants to go buy a list or everybody wants to go sit behind their computer and find a deal. Well, listen, you're competing with millions of people if all you want to do is sit behind a computer and find a deal. Get on the ground. Get in it. You know what? The guy from the private equity firm in you know, Sacramento, California can't do? He can't get out of his chair and go look at a neighborhood. So that's, that's, to me, it's huge. Maybe there's an area that is distressed, but is turning around. There's already been some proven flips in that area. And they, you've looked online, you've seen their sales prices. You, you, you know that, uh, that there's more opportunity there because there's hundreds of houses right in that, that community that people live in that are, that are old. We're doing one right now in a little community here in South Atlanta that has had probably 10 to 15, maybe 20 flips of different versions and, and quality of flips that have taken place here in this little area. And there's probably four or 500 houses right in a mile radius are in bad shape. And so we're doing one right there now. And if it does well and we it 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 does sell like we expect to, then we're gonna we're gonna knock door by door. Hey, we just did this house over here. We're we're local uh investors and we're we're looking to to make offers on uh houses in your area. Are you you are the owner? Yes. Are you are you interested in a in a cash offer? Um, to sell your house and uh, door by door you you may find out that there are some people willing to sell 
They've been just waiting to, to move, and, and they haven't picked the phone up and called an agent. Why? Because their homes are in bad shape, and the agent's not going to be able to sell it. So that, that is just huge. On the ground, finding the property to me is huge. Um, you can do public research on bankruptcies, divorces, death, foreclosures, etc. These are all people potentially in distress. Uh, so you can do your own public research to figure out which properties may have distress on them. And you can buy a list from companies that uh, give away or, or, or populate this information. I don't, it is hard to get one that stays current, okay? You, you, at the end of the day, you're going to have to to pull information together and create a valid resource uh, that is going to help you make these offers. Uh, we're going to move into making the, an offer next. Um, you're making an offer uh, to purchase this house. What needs to be considered? Well, uh, you know, this is a negotiation you're about to enter into. And... Uh, it's interesting. I mean, every offer has elements that are different and every offer has elements that are similar. Because it's a negotiation and you know your market and you know if you're in a really hot market or you're in a very down market, your negotiation strength may change. Right now, homes are uh, selling very high and it's hard to get one. So, you know, I'm not going to make a ridiculously low offer because I'll, I just won't get a response. So I, I'm, I'm today, I'm making a little closer to what I'm willing to pay for the house and then holding a line on that number so I can get my foot in the door. Um, five years ago, I made a ridiculously low offer and to try to push the, the number way down. I'm going to land in the middle probably at the end of the day, but... Uh, Today, I've got to be closer to what I'm willing to pay or I don't even get a call back or I get a, a slam door in my face. And so when you make the offer, here's the things to consider. What attorney you're going to close with, how much earnest money you're willing to walk away from, how short of a period of time you need for inspections, due diligence period. Um, your offer strengthens as you have less due diligence as you have shorter days to close the house. Uh, strength of your offer is not all based on just the offer price. Uh, there is what we call price and what we call terms in every real estate negotiation and deal. And uh, I use terms a whole lot more than the average real estate investor and certainly more than the average real estate agent even knows is available to them. Uh, what do, what do I mean by terms? Well, if maybe I pay a higher price, if I'm willing to, or they're willing to take over their financing. So they have a, you know, I, I'm willing to pay instead of a hundred. I'm willing to pay one hundred and ten thousand, but I want I want to assume not assume, but 
but buy your property subject to your existing financing, that's say $70,000. So instead of me going to borrow that $70,000, I'm going to take over their loan that's already in place with a great interest rate. And they're willing to do that because they're on the verge of not paying it anyway. But it saves me money, so I'll pay more money. Uh, negotiations about when you get something or when you give up something, you got to get something. And if I give up on price, I want to get a term. So maybe that term is, hey, instead of closing in 25 days, I'm going to close in 45 days. Uh, maybe that term is, I need you to completely remove everything in the house. Where in other cases, I say, hey, listen, I'll give you this offer, but you don't even have to, and it's a lower offer, but you don't have to touch the house. All this garbage you have everywhere, the three levels of junk you don't want, I'll deal with after close. Maybe that's my term. Point is, is that utilize terms. If I, if I have earnest money of $5,000 that I'm willing to walk away from with no due diligence, for instance, because I've, I've, I've met the homeowner, I've inspected the house, and I'm, I'm qualified to do that for the most point. For the, in most cases, I don't need to hire an outside inspector to tell me what I know. I have the experience. So I walk the house. I've, I've done my inspection. I've done my numbers. I can do them pretty quick now on site. I've done my numbers. I know what I can offer. I make a deep offer right then and there. I say $5,000 in earnest money, no due diligence. Meaning you sign this contract and I don't close, $5,000 is yours. That's a term, guys. That's a term. There's price and terms. I am giving them a heavy earnest that I am going to close. Therefore, I got a lower price. Or I got the deal because... The other offer that came in was for $5,000 more with $500 in earnest money and 10 days of due diligence. Well, listen, they want, they want a sure thing. So they took my deal. So making an offer is, oh my gosh, I'm using this again. It's an art and a science. It's an art and a science. The numbers need to work for you and them. But the art of the negotiation is so critical here. If you're going to give something up, get something back. And I want my offer to be started in a position of strength. So meaning if I, if I present an offer and it's, and it's low and it doesn't get accepted. If I raise my offer, then I'm going to reduce some other terms, which means I'm operating from a position of strength in every negotiation. If I give, 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 then they'll take, 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 and they'll keep taking more, and we may never get anywhere. So uh, that's my advice to you in making the offer. Obviously, real estate professionals using their contracts can help you. They can hurt you too at times. They're more interested sometimes in their commission than they are in your deal. So uh, you need to work with the right agents who have an, an investor mindset and, and frame of reference. And it's not all about them and their commissions. It really is about you and relationship. I'm going to, um, I'm going to talk about here maybe, uh, common house flipping mistakes. 
Um, you bought a money pit. You bought a house that you shouldn't have bought. You probably knew this on the front end. You did it anyway. You made the deal work. And this sucker's just sucking money, sucking money, sucking money, sucking money. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Most of the time it is very avoidable. Don't buy a money pit. Do not overshoot your experience. That's another one that prevents you from buying the money, money pit. Do not overestimate your time and skills. Overshoot your experience. Okay? Be realistic here. Uh, don't underestimate expenses. Here's what we do to make a deal work oftentimes. Uh, I know it's 35000 in renovation costs. If I can just get to twenty eight. And I know it probably, you know, should sell for 175, but I think I can get it to 185. And you start pushing every number to make a deal work. Well, that that's just not going to work. Okay. That's, that's underestimating expenses, it's overestimating sales prices. Now, here's a common mistake by newbies they over improve the property. Well, if I lived here, I'm going to do this, this, and that. Uh, and they and they do these things, and they spend an awful lot of money on finishes. Listen, if you're in the heart of the market, meaning in Atlanta, that's about a two hundred two hundred thirty thousand dollar house. That's the average sales price. It's where eighty percent of your buyers are sitting at a two hundred to two hundred thirty thousand dollar price point. You do not need to over improve. You don't need, you know, the Pinterest unbelievable you know landscape on the house coupled with a brand new kitchen coupled with a brand new bathroom coupled with the best light fixtures you got to pick your points here pick your poison pick what is going to make somebody go wow and everything else just make it clean and simple um builders know how to do this builders who put uh, light fixtures throughout their house realize they're selling a new house and depending on price point, this house is going to sell whether they put a $500 fan in it or a $75 fan. And if, and if they're selling to the 80% buyer, they're just giving the $400 away on the fan because it makes no difference in the sales price. So this is what we talk about, uh, you know, over-improving. Don't, don't put a 45-ounce a, a carpet in your flip with a eight-pound pad. Put a builder-grade carpet in a six-pound pad. You need new and clean because uh, you got enough else going for it that everything doesn't have to be high-end. So don't over-improve the property. That's a, that's a common mistake. Uh, doing your own renovations and then having to pay somebody to fix it afterwards. Jeez. We buy houses to flip after other house flippers bought and did their own renovation. It was terrible. So if you don't know what you're doing, pay somebody. Otherwise, you're going to end up paying twice. Um, this is something I, I think you should consider. Uh, are you not value, valuing your time in the project? I mean, if you're a $100 an hour person or you're a $50 an hour person, or even a $25 an hour person, and you're spending 
20 hours a week over there. You got to value that. Now, if this is your fun time and this is how you relax and enjoy your off time, then okay. But if this is really work for you to make money, then value your own time. Put real dollars to it. If I go make a repair, I need to value that. Because, I, you know, I can't, I can't do that for every repair and all the time. I got to make, you know, my real job work too if I'm doing this part-time. Overpaying for the property, clearly. Uh, I think all the stuff we've talked about here goes right back into overpaying for the property. And be aware that just because you're not getting deals doesn't mean that what other people are paying is what you should pay. So I want to bring this up. I mean, there's institutional private equity buyers out there competing against you for every house you're buying. They have more money than you. They have more resource than you. They have better numbers than you. They have cheaper money than you. Of course they can pay more money than you. And they're, they're keeping the house to own, not flip. They're, 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 they're building a huge rental portfolio. Of course they can pay more for you. So do not mistake what somebody else can pay for a property as the value of the property or, so, or, the, or what you should pay for the property. You have to make it work for your numbers. So be realistic about your numbers, but do not overshoot what works for your numbers and your cost of money. Uh, that's, a, that's a pitfall, guys. Well, you know, we could talk a lot more about flipping houses. I mean, you know, what should you do when you market it? I mean, at the very minute, hire a real estate agent, a good one. Do professional pictures. Stage the property. Okay, put its best foot forward when you sell it. Do not put it on the market if you hadn't pine strawed the yard yet. Do not put it on the market when you are, quote, getting done at the end of the week with the renovations and now you're taking pictures and put it on the market ahead of time to see what the market will do. No, you put your best foot forward. Think about Apple computer products. Have you ever bought an Apple phone? Did they, did they half send you a package that wasn't quite shrink-wrapped yet with the directions not in it? No. When you open an Apple phone, you think you've opened a spaceship. It's so tightly done. Your perception is off the chart. This is what you have to do when you sell a house. Get the perception so high because you have it done. You have your best foot forward the day you put it on the market. And if you're in a good market like we are today, you as a seller have the power. Your well-renovated property will get multiple offers. You do not have to negotiate high closing costs or reductions in price unless you're just getting no traction. So hire a, a, a real estate professional that you can trust. Uh, you're in the house flipping business. You're not in the the selling the house business and and uh, let the professionals help you. They have access to a lot more data and a lot more relationship than you do. So so there, there's Flip a House, guys. Uh, it, this was a little bit off the cuff. Hope you guys got something out of it today. Uh, maybe we'll do some other you know, segments on this. I mean, message us uh, at uh, info at 
uh, heck, what is our email? I'll give you one that I know will work. Info at yesirent.com. If you want to see more shows around real estate or flipping or, hey, we want to hear from you. Give us five stars. Watch our po- Share our podcast. Uh, we're proud of the big trees of small business. Uh, I hope that my monologue show today about house flipping was worth your time. Once again, I, I appreciate all the people that listen to us. Uh, it, it, we, it just means the world to us. It's what keeps us coming back and uh, doing it. Uh, we love to share our thoughts and ideas. And uh, we love our listeners. Thanks again for listening to the big truths of small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the truth of small business. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truths of small business. Sponsored by Yes I Rent. Yes I Rent. Yes, I rent property management. We place good tents and collect your rent. Maintain your properties and account for it. Truth. We got the truth. We got the truth. We got the big truth. A small business sponsored by Yes, I rent. See you next week.